time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. With YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Very cool. So each of them have been with YWAM for 10, 20, 30. Can I get a 40? Can I get a, oh, do we stop at 30, Kim? Okay, 30, and then 30 here, 35, 37, 30, 30, 30, 30, over 35 years in going to the nations. And so I just want them to introduce themselves. And then I'll tell you, well, let me tell you why they're so special. They had the privilege of really discipling Octavia and myself uh, in my early, earlier years. Uh, I was about 22 years old. I just finished college and it was back in 2006. And I went and did this discipleship training school and uh, they took me to India and they took me to Africa. And we saw the power of God in a really significant way in both of those countries. And so um, they are here. They're teaching in, uh, in DLA this week. And so this, yeah, they're awesome. So just introduce them, greet everybody and tell them, I don't know, just tell them something amazing. Uh, so here we go. So this is Miss Kim Kaufman, Miss Barbara Sandiford, and this is Mr. Roy Sandiford. All right. So go, Kim. You're amazing. Well, first of all, it's awesome to be here. And Barbara kept saying, I'm so glad you're here so you can see this because there's no way I could explain it. And so I would say amen to that. And uh, it's just amazing to see so many young people coming together in, in worshiping the Lord in, in such a free way. And, uh, oh, man, I, I'm really tempted to tell you some stories about yes. these guys, but I, I won't because I don't, he's got to, he worked all day on this message, so I don't want to take it away. But anyway, um, yeah, I work with Youth with the Mission Base and Tyler, and I'm one of the training directors there, and, uh, and been doing it for a long time, and yes, I did go to India with Brandon, Pastor Brandon, and he, you think he's, anybody know that he's a germaphobe? <laughs> India was awesome for him. Yeah, he went to Calcutta, India, the dirtiest place in the world. The guy's life was incredibly changed. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, it's so wonderful to be back here with you again and just see all the faces. I love your friendliness. I love your just amazing way you connect with people and the way you connect with us. Uh, I love the way Brandon connected with us and Octavia. They are some of our dearest friends. And surely we could tell you some amazing <laughs> stories about them getting engaged and us being present. Brandon oh, yeah. calling up and asking, please, can you set up the chapel and uh, make a special little place where I can just ask Octavia to marry me? Well, surely I'll tell you I was so happy about that because he was really slow in getting to that place. Oh. And we were hiding behind a divider wall, a bunch of us, and we watched him get on his knee and asked this girl to marry him. And he had a bunch of his friends outside. There's a lake. And fireworks went off when he did that. Yeah. And surely it was fireworks. Yeah. Amazing people. Likewise, it's good to be back. I remember last time I was so excited when I was on the platform speaking. I just couldn't, that evening, couldn't go to sleep. I was so excited. Brandon is quite a scream, especially when you take him out on the ocean on a catamaran. <laughs> he is wonderful. And I tell you, when we were in Cape Town, South Africa, he was the, an incredible evangelist. 
We spoke at a school with uh, 1,300 students. Brandon was the main speaker. They were floored when he told them what he was at 23. Ah, a virgin. Yeah. Yes, a virgin. They couldn't believe it. All the girls went, ooh. <laughs> he said, I'm not gay. I have somebody back home waiting for me. <laughs> the message was so powerful that 70, just over 70 people gave their hearts to the Lord that morning. Mm. And we were able to go into all the classrooms and talk about Jesus, which was unbelievable. And we attributed it to this young man. Public school. You're a great guy. I love you. We just love you, brother. <laughs> Y'all give it up for them really, really quick. Hey, we're so, so honored to have you guys here. It's so amazing. Um, along the way, it's so incredible whenever people uh, see what God is doing in your life and not try to squelch that or push it down, but rather encourage you to stir that up and have hard conversations with you and all sorts of things. So I'm super, super honored to have them here with us tonight as we continue talking about some of these elephants that are in the room tonight. Well, let me just catch you guys up. Those of you who maybe haven't been here, uh, we have talked about everything from vaping and drinking and cussing and homosexuality and uh, sexuality in general to pornography to uh, all sorts of things. And tonight will be a little bit different because you guys are so amazing. And again, those of you who haven't been here, this whole series, and I've never done this before in almost a decade of youth ministry, where we've crafted an entire series based upon questions that you have written, and now we are attempting by the grace of God just to answer based on the Word of God. And so tonight will be no different um, in terms of what we'll be addressing. It'll be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about some, and it was so, I mean, you guys are so amazing, asked so many questions, so we kind of had to pick and choose in groups. So tonight, We'll focus on all of, or the majority of the doctrinal questions that you had. Everybody say doctrine. doctrine. All right, doctrine is important, so don't check out on me. You've got to know what you believe, especially in this day and age. The Bible says that in the last days that, that, that we would give heed to what Paul called seducing spirits and, and, and giving heed to just believing anything that you hear on your iPod or on YouTube, watching a video and seeing, all right, now that's what I believe, or hearing your favorite pop artist or your favorite, or your favorite um, actor or singer or rapper say, hey, this is what's true, and you say, well, that's what's true too. No, let every man be alive. And let the word of God be truth tonight. And so as we go deeper into the word of God, I'm just going to encourage you to lean in, to press in, to listen. And the next time that we meet, we're going to be in cadres and you'll have way more opportunity to ask even more questions than what you've already asked. And our amazing cadre leaders, home team and DLA are gonna be there to help process through some of these things. So last week we had a panel, tonight I'll be speaking. There's no way I could have answered all these questions by myself. I was phoning pastors, phoning friends, even today saying, hey, what do you, what do, what do you see in the word of God about this? And so, so tonight we're just gonna go a little bit deeper. Let me just set this up for you again. The goal here is that you would not be one in your 20s who looks at church or looks at me as your youth pastor or your former youth pastor and say, you know what? 
you lost me. You lost me. You didn't answer the questions. You didn't speak into the issues that I was facing. That's the real goal. The real win is that 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you will still be able to give an account for the faith that is on the inside of you, saying, this is what I believe. This, was, I, this is what I know to be true. And so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's kind of the, the, kind of the, 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 the hallmark verse, the, the banner, the flagship scripture we're using for this whole series. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're not giving you um, theological scriptures or answers so that you can go and debate all your friends online and you know, be known as that guy or that girl. We have enough of those guys and those girls. We're speaking these truths into you as part of a training saying, hey, this is what the word of God has to say. This is, what, this is what we believe. This is what the word of God has to say about this issue or that issue. So with that being said, I kind of addressed it at the beginning of this series. There are some things that we face that, you know what, depending on, depending on who you talk to, who you're following, who you're communicating with, there's different ways, there's different methods in which we get to the same place. Let me read this verse to you, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17, and hopefully give you a little bit of understanding here, and then we'll jump right in. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17 says this, I'm not writing these things to shame you. This is Paul, the apostle speaking, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and my faithful child in the Lord. He'll remember you he will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. In this week three of Elephant series, I wanna just remind you guys, we'll look at what the word of God has to say, but then there are other parts of, hey, this is why we practically carry out certain things. This is our philosophy that's just based on, I explained it last week in, in the panel that we had, and we'll do a panel again in about two weeks and it's gonna be amazing. And we'll talk about, we'll answer your questions about I think depression and cutting and suicide and some other kind of things. But that you would know you guys, when you've walked with the Lord for a while, there are just certain things that the years will teach you that the days will never know. And then there are other things that the decades will teach you that the years will never know. And so as we are approaching these things, we're not saying, gosh, this is, there are certain doctrinal things that's, yes, you need to believe this in order to get into heaven and to be a part of the larger body of Christ. But then there are certain nuances, certain approaches. And I'll be explaining our approach kind of as your leaders and your pastors saying, hey, this is what we see the word of God saying. And this is how we've lived our lives. Now follow us as we follow Christ. Imitate us as we imitate Christ. Does that make sense, everybody? Do you agree with that? Say amen. All right, let's go straight to some questions. All right, first one, we call it the problem of evil. Here are a couple questions that you asked. Number one, why does God let bad things happen? And then number two, somebody else or several others asked, why is there hatred 
in the world? Why is there hatred in the world? Why does God allow bad things to to happen? So this whole thing, this whole thing is kind of something we call the problem of evil. It's the issue, it's the problem of evil. Now, Now here's the deal, God is great, God is good, and there is evil. And if you think that last statement cannot be true, while the other two are true, then you've got, you're gonna have some real internal frustrations for the rest of your life. So the first thing we've got to come to is realizing God is good, okay? God is great and there is evil in our world. Now I could get into some deep theological constructs here. I don't wanna lose you. Um, but I do want to address the answers and I want to just give you kind of cookie cutter answers tonight. I want to give you some things to think about you guys. Three different types of evil that I can see. Transcendent evil, natural evil, human evil. All three of those are different. What do we mean by transcendent evil? Well, we saw transcendent evil partner with human evil just within the last 10 days or so with the attacks that occurred in Paris. As we read the diabolical efforts and the intentions of what this group of terrorists is, we have no choice but to, but to conclude that, wow, these things were demonically inspired in the mind of Satan and carried out by those who are his servants. Transcendent evil, just pure evil. Then there's what we call natural evil. The Bible talks about in Genesis 3 that because of the choices of Adam, And Eve, the Bible says that God, our loving, merciful, amazing God, spoke out a curse over the earth because sin entered the world. That left a residual effect even on the very world itself. Do we believe that or not? Do we believe, if you believe in blessing, you've got to believe in cursing. If you believe in good, you've got to believe that there is evil, right? And so there are certain things what we call natural evil, earthquakes, natural disasters. Some of those things are the result of the curse that entered the world because of sin. Everybody say sin. We still believe in sin as a church, as, a, as Christians, I think. Most of us. Um, And so the residual effects of, of sin, so natural evil. And then there's human evil, human evil. And this comes down to, you know what? People make bad decisions. Have you ever made a bad decision before in your life? Have you ever ventured, dare I say, made an evil decision before? in your life. Raise your hand. The rest of you are liars. You're evil right now. (laughs) Come on out of that evil. (laughs) Okay. So it's anything that violates, violates the word of God. So every single one of us are guilty of doing, speaking, working in an evil way before. Now the magnitude of that evil has different, uh, has different ramifications on the choices, the effects of those around you we have to conclude is that because we have choice, we have volition, we have the ability to choose to do what is right and good and operate in blessing and operate in that which is good, then we also have the choice to operate in that which is bad. The second question there is why is there hatred in the world? Why? Because of sin, because of original sin. 
the effects of it. Romans 8, 20 through 23, listen to this. It says, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. (laughs) Speaking of childbirth, childbirth (laughs) to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised to us. Here's the deal, you guys. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the day whenever Jesus Christ will return. That's not just people, that's down to the natural elements itself. Our earth is groaning. And let me just tell you something. I want to remind you of something. This whole thing, history is not cyclical. It is linear. We are going somewhere. This whole thing does have a culmination. It does, there is an end goal to this whole thing and it is the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And my question to you as we talk about the problem of evil is are you living your life in light of the reality that there is a very real man by the name of Jesus who is soon to return. Oh, sooner than you think. We were just talking about this. I was talking to some DLA about this just a couple weeks ago or so. You know, my teenage years, we we, there, there was much, uh, dude, there was like a whole lot made about the return of Jesus. I mean, you talk about the greatest little sin stopper is to think that, oh my God, Jesus could come back. No, I'm not sleeping with some girl in the back of a car. Jesus could come back and hell is hot. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we, like for real, like what if Jesus comes back and I'm in the midst of sin? I don't know if I'd make it in. So I'm just not going to go that way. Does that make sense? And so now we have a whole generation of like, well, what do you even believe? Jesus going, yes, Jesus is coming back. This is foundational to our faith. You've got to believe that the one who started it all is on his way back. And it is sooner than you think. And if that's true, if that is true, then we live our lives in light of the fact that we will give an account of our lives. Our righteous judge is coming back to judge both the living and the dead. Does that make sense? Here's the beautiful part, and this is the last thing I'll say about the issue of evil. Here's the real beautiful thing about Christianity, that in spite of evil, whether it was human, transcendent, or natural, our God chose to come and live in the midst of evil and not just live in the midst of evil but to bear the consequences and the full ramification all of the effects of evil Jesus Christ bore on the cross within his own body as Gabe told us earlier during the offering exhortation Jesus here we have a God who's not afraid of evil 
we have a God who subjected himself to the purest form of evil. We weep and we wail over terrorist attacks, and we should. But can you imagine, far surpassing that, the death of an innocent man, the bloody, filthy, wrathful death of an innocent man who did not have to choose to die that way. This is who our God is as Christians. Does that make sense? So the issue of evil, it's not a, it's not a, it's not problematic for the believer. We say, God is great. God is good. There is evil. The beautiful thing that there is one who is coming named Jesus who will come and he'll make it all good. One day he'll make all that has been wrong. He will make it right for he is the righteous and just judge. Amen. Amen. So that's the issue. That's the issue. That's the problem of evil. All right. Number two, this was interesting, but it's a big deal amongst this generation. So let's you kind of bat your eyes and turn the other way and say, I would never hold on, hold on, hold on. Number two, or another question, third question that was asked, what do you think about Satanists? What do you think about Satanism? And I met teenagers, young adults, seems to be almost like a trendy thing now. Like I'm a Satanist, I follow, you know. Um, what do I think? What, what, do we, what do we think? Think what God thinks? Um, listen to this, a well-respected theologian, his name is Carl Henry. He says, Satan is most successfully present where he is denied, forgotten, unexpected, or unnoticed. That's where he's most successfully present. This is why Jesus told us to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. This is why Paul reminded us in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. This is why he reminded us in Corinthians, for the weapons of our fight are not physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I just want to make you guys aware because there seems to be a fascination with darkness. I don't know who started it. I don't know where it came from, but we just need to send that back to hell where it belonged. This, this kind of, this, 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 uh, wow, this darkness and vampires and witches and all, all these, where did that come from? When did that become acceptable in the body of Christ? When did it become trendy or cool or godly or righteous or holy to, to engage in reading movies, music that is so dark where the spirit of witchcraft is so latent wow, in it? When did we forget that satanic power is real? Yeah. I'll tell you when. Whenever Satan became denied, forgotten, unexpected, and unnoticed. Let me tell you something, you cannot dabble in the darkness and just come out untouched and clean. You can't do it. Does that make sense to you? And so, so here we go. Satan's name, it's actually a title. We call him Satan. It's actually the Satan. If you read it in the, in the Greek, especially there's an article before it. So the Satan, the word Satan actually means adversary. So the title that's most commonly given to him is he is the adversary. The adversary of who? The adversary of all that is good. The very epitome of good himself, which is God. So he is God's adversary. He is not an alter ego of God. He is not an equal force or an equal power. He is not, oh, well, we have two powers just kind of equal. No, no, no. He is subservient to the will of God. He is subservient to the power and the authority and the rule that Jesus Christ has. Does that make sense? Therefore, we do not fear. 
we do not fear. Unless, of course, we are in agreement with his kingdom. Agreement by what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, how we talk, the influences in our lives. That's when we have, uh, and it's very wise for us to be very uh, fearful. Does that make sense? I think most of you were here during the series, during the warrior series. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember my famous story? Does anybody remember that? What was the weird story that I told? Does anybody remember? Yes, the mattress. <laughs> yes, the levitating mattress. Woo, don't want to go back. Okay, here we go. And so, so I won't tell it all over again, but just suffice it to say, hey, this second row over here, make sure that you're paying really, really close attention. You're amazing. Okay, perfect. Second row. Everybody, yeah, there you go. So, because, because look, one of Satan's key distractions is whenever the word is going forth, is to distract you so that your ears become closed from hearing the word of God. And it's a very big deal. Does that make sense? So the Satan, the adversary of God himself, this is who he is. His plans, his mission, his purpose was actually defined by Jesus. John 10 and 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. What do I think about Satanists? I think that those teenagers and young adults who are calling and claiming, uh, calling themselves Satanists, claiming to be a, a, a Satanist, don't have a clue what they're actually dabbling in. Why? Why do, why do I say that? Well, no. because, because once manifestations start happening, the, the pastors and leaders, who they call? What in the world? You know, this happened. What? What? I was like, oh, you didn't know? You didn't know what you were signing up for? You didn't know? You didn't know? And so, so the Bible says my people perish because of, a lack of, because of a lack of knowledge. You guys, anything that is associated, akin to, connected to darkness has no place in your life. Now, am I going to give you an exhaustive list? Well, get rid of this. No, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And he does an amazing job in your life. Partnering with leaders and mentors and coaches and leaders in your life to say, hey, you know, you really should... That's probably, that's, that's anything, it, does light emanate from that? If not, it's more than likely darkness. Here's the deal with the, with the whole idea. I think this generation is very fascinated, this interest in, in darkness, because there's a, it, it's a counterfeit for the power of God. I think that deep down inside, every single one of us was, was, were created for, 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 for the supernatural power of God to be alive and active in our lives. And what we have done is that we have traded that which is authentic for a counterfeit. Why? Because that which is authentic actually requires for us to submit everything to Jesus. And the darkness and the demonic has no requirements at all. We can still get goosebumps and feelings and all of that, but it doesn't require for us to live holy lives or yield everything to Jesus Christ. I could give you scripture after scripture. I'll give you one. I think it's Acts chapter, I believe it's Acts chapter 19 with the, uh, the sons of Sceva. And the, uh, once they saw the power of God in operation in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, I believe that's where it is. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, just yell it out the right chapter to me. I'm pretty sure it's Acts 19. And what happens is the, the, these guys saw the supernatural power of God to heal and, and demons being cast out. And they were like, we want to do that too. Yeah. 
Jesus. And they tried to cast out demons and the demons literally looked at them and said, Paul, we know and, and Jesus, we know. But, but who are, who, 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 who is you? What? Who are you? And, and, and the Bible says that those demons jumped off, came out of the person. And then, and then the demons entered those guys and ripped their clothes off and sent them running down the street. Now, do you believe the Bible or not? Because that's a pretty bizarre story. I mean, that's pretty like, when was the last time you saw that happen? All right, well, whenever the devil goes unnoticed, unnecessary, that's where he's doing his greatest work. And so, so we, we've got to realize is that number one, Satan is real. He is a subservient, his power is subservient. His power does not supersede the power of God. And number three, we are not to be fascinated, drawn to, enticed in to darkness. And the, again, the Holy Spirit is so good to reveal, hey, that's darkness. You need to get rid of that in your life. Hey, that's darkness. You really shouldn't be a part of that. Hey, that party that you're going to, you have no idea the satanic and the demonically inspired things that are taking place. You probably shouldn't do that. Be careful, little feet, where you go. <laughs> be careful. So that's what we're going to say about that. Does that make sense, everybody? I think it's everything. That's good. It's really good. Human history is a story of two kingdoms, two kingdoms in collision. So here's what you need to know. Either you're a part of the kingdom of darkness or you're a part of the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light will win. Make no mistake about it. Jesus does win. We will win. And so, but, but just know, this, we're, human history is two kingdoms at war, but we win. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Lord. All right, so the next one, the next question. And sorry, guys, you know I'm normally way more like thematic, but I'm just trying to answer questions tonight. So here we go. Uh, next group is supernatural nature of God. So another question, several asked question. Why would God take away blessings? Why would God, like, would God do that? Does God do that? Does he take away blessings? Well, that depends on what your definition of blessings are. So let's kind of start from there. So let's define what blessings are. What's a real blessing? Here's, here's real blessings. Blessings is having God's approval and his goodwill directed towards someone. Then the covenant blessings can be granted. It is those things. James talks about this reality that everything good and perfect comes down from the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is, the scripture, the writer of James, he says, that in whom there is, there's no shadow or variation of turning. He's not like a shifting shadow. He's not good one day and bad the next and then angry the next and then I'm like, well, give me that back. Give me that blessing back. Give it to me. You know, no. That's not who he is. He is the good. He is perpetually and constantly good. So if he releases a blessing, he's like, well, give me that blessing back. I need it back. I need to give it to somebody else. No, he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. His resources are endless. He is the source of all that which is good, okay? He is the creator of heaven and earth. Everything good, everything perfect comes down from him. So that's what I'm talking about in blessings. I think the issue becomes is what we consider blessings and the Lord takes them away aren't really blessings at all. <laughs> They're things. They are things. If those things are not leading you into paths of righteousness in God, that's not a blessing anyway. You need to thank God for taking him, her, that, those, money, whatever it is, for taking it away from you. 
Does that make sense to you guys? Here's another reality. This is what Job said. Let's just go to scripture. Job, everybody knows the story of Job. Most of us, Job had all of these different things and it seems like God just took everything away from him. And, 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 and here's the deal. Here's what Job said. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked whenever I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Listen to this. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Now we get mad because our little iPhone got taken away. This man lost everything, all of his money, all of his kids, his wife, his houses, his cattle, all of his possessions, and his cry at the end of that season was still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked is how I came into this world. Naked is how I'll go back. God, everything belongs to him anyways. He gives, he takes away. Blessed, honored, Worthy to be adored is the name of the Lord. We lose one thing and we're ready to curse God and die. (laughs) What? Do we get this tonight? He gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's the deal. If the Lord took it away, he didn't need it anyways. It would have led you down a path of destruction. It would have led you out of his will. There's an old song we used to sing even as a child. The safest place in the whole wide world is right in the middle of God's will. Whether you have anything or whether you have a lot of things or nothing, the safest place in the whole wide world is not being around the right people, having the right house, having the right money, driving the right car. The safest place in the whole wide world is to be in the middle of the will of God. Amen? All right, next. Great questions, you guys. All right, this is awesome. What is speaking in tongues all about? What is it? It's freaking me out. My parents hate me. I spoke in tongues at retreat or well, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, there is, or they hate me, whatever. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, here's the deal. So, I'll, um, so let's, def- let's talk about speaking in tongues, all these things. Okay. Speaking in tongues is one of the various ways to grow in our relationship with God. We are a spirit-filled church. We believe in the Holy Ghost. We believe in speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, etc., etc. Um, we believe in it because it's in the Bible, okay? Um, and it's specifically the New Testament, if we want to make the argument that we're the New Testament church, whatever. Um, and so, what is it? What is it all about? Okay. So many different scriptures. By the way, if you have, how many of you have iTunes? Come on, just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you type in iTunes and type in Desperation, Power from on High, there's about a 65-minute message that I do every year, Coram Deo, uh, different, different variations of that message where I go through scripture by scripture by scripture, going through the New Testament and basically saying, uh, yes, this is of God. Yes, that's why we do this. Yes, this is why we believe in it. So you can listen for more context. I'll give you like one or two verses tonight. Here's what Paul has to say about this. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 through 5, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, speaks in tongues, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. 
Here's the deal. One of the primary ways to build up your faith, to strengthen your devotional life, to grow closer to Jesus Christ, is this gift of speaking in tongues. That's why, so you hear it on Wednesday nights. Look, I don't want it to be something foreign to you. Because what will happen is, and it's already kind of occurred, even as I travel around the country, different youth groups, different churches, is there's a whole generation that does not know about the supernatural power of God. And I'm discovering that, like on the, I mean, like on a monthly basis here. And so, so here's, here's what... Here's what I'll have to say about it. And it's actually cool that you're here because, uh, Kim, because it was actually in DTS. I remember you talking about this being volitional, like years ago. And your whole, because Kim grew up in a Pentecostal background, Miss Kim, and, and she talked about, I remember your testimony of like having people pray for you for years and years and years. And then you understood that it was volitional. Like, oh, I'm supposed to, like, I just, like, I speak. Oh, well, who, like, who knew? I thought I was supposed to be, I don't know, I don't know. And so I remember I use that story every single time that I teach on speaking in tongues because it's totally this thing of like, well, I don't know, like, is this for me? Can I do it? Am I good enough? Am I too bad? The blood of Jesus covers us through repentance. And this is one of the many gifts that Jesus wants to give. Now, that being said, this is not a requirement to make it into heaven. You'll still make it into heaven. Speaking in tongues is not salvific. What we mean by that is that it does not add to your salvation experience. What we mean is this is a secondary experience that you can have that, should, that, that can be a perpetual flow in your life of growing closer to Jesus Christ. It doesn't make you better than anyone. It doesn't separate like the haves and the have-nots. It doesn't mean like that you're, you're more than, like you're more spiritual than like the person next to you. But what it is, it's just more of God. It's one of the ways that we encounter him more. Now, again, I could go through scripture of scripture. Jude, verse 20, beloved, I, I encourage you, I implore you, I, I, I would really strongly encourage you to build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, praying in the Spirit, both day and night, perpetually praying. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine in, in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing, Spirit, sing in the Spirit, preach in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, talk in English, pray in English, pray in the Spirit. All of these things. This is a part of, we want to do, we want to do it all. I want everything that God has for me, everything that he's promised. The day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all in one room in one accord, there came a sound of us as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the place, and there appeared to them cloven tongues of fire, and it rested upon every single one of them, and they began speaking in tongues as the Lord gave them utterance, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I go through scripture by scripture by scripture in the New Testament. Suffice it to, to say, 1 Corinthians, put that verse back on the screen first. 1 Corinthians is a brilliant place for you to start in your own personal study, because look, You've got to know these things, you guys. And I don't want you to be a generation that says, well, Lord, it's kind of like a little buffet line. I'll believe this and ah, keep that. And I'll take prophecy, but tongues is a little weird. So I don't want that. You know, give me a side of tongues and an entree of prophecy because that's what we've done. We want to prophesy. Well, you should want to speak in tongues too. You know, I want everything that the Holy Spirit has because there's a building up that occurs, you guys. And about 16 years ago, whenever this occurred, or 15 and a half years ago, whenever this occurred in my life, there, there's just no denying it. I've, you, you've come like way too late, like about 15 and a half years and some hours or so, like way too late to say that this doesn't absolutely revolutionize your walk with Jesus. I love Jesus more because I speak in tongues.
I love the Holy Spirit more because I speak in tongues on a daily basis. You'll hear Pastor Brady say it all the time. I pray in tongues every single day. It adds, it deepens my faith. It brings me closer to the Lord. So I would encourage you. And you can talk to your leaders, talk to us. Even tonight, talk to our leaders. We can pray for you. This is so, I mean, this is a gift from Jesus. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes down, comes down from the Father. Amen? Amen. Okay. Don't get quiet on me tonight when we talk about speaking in tongues. Come on. Shut up. All right. All right. So here we go. Next question. This, this is funny. And you may not have this on the screen because I forgot to highlight it. Why does God, why does God show up in weird ways? <laughs> you guys are so amazing. Just so honest. All right. Why does God show up in weird ways? So then we have to define what is weird, what exactly you're talking about. I think I have an idea. Here we go. Um, Isaiah 55, chapter 55, verse, verse 9. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Sometimes the Lord, quote, shows up in a way that is unexpected. How many of you know that Jesus came on the scene in a way that everybody at the time would have called, that is so weird. That is so bizarre. Think about John the Baptist, this wild guy who was out in the wilderness, eating locusts, yelling, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn you sinners, stop sinning. And he did, and he wore a loincloth and he, he was every which way but weird. But God showed up whenever he preached. Now, this is not a license to be goofy and just kind of bizarre. You know, if everybody runs from you, you're probably, you know, John the Baptist drew a crowd. He didn't, <laughs> hello, like people came out. I need to tell, what did you come out here in the desert to see? Who did you come to see? So people were like, were drawn towards him. So we're talking about like that kind of weird, where people are actually drawn towards you. They don't like repulse it. Like you goofy weirdo, like we're all just gonna run away. Okay, so we're not weird for the sake of being weird. But look, you guys, the Bible says that it is the wisdom of God. I use the foolish things of man to confound the wise says the Lord. And so you just be careful what you call weird because you might just be putting your mouth on something real and authentic that God is moving on and that God is doing. So be very careful because we will give an account for it. Does that make sense to you? I want my dear friend, Mr. Roy, this is so spontaneous. Just talk about, just talk about that because you're amazing. You've been around the world and lots of weird things have happened even whenever you've ministered. So come up here real quick. I don't have a lot of time. Don't be shy. Come on. Okay. And so, and so I just wanted to talk about this. He's so amazing. <laughs> just so talk about the, <laughs> so just talk about the reality that sometimes whenever the Lord shows up, perhaps it can be in unexpected ways that don't normally, maybe not follow the logical, all right, God's got to do this, this, and this. So just like talk for two and a half minutes with your amazing South African accent that we just all love to hear. Don't we love South African accents? Come on. <laughs> all right, so go. He's got to consult the real. So Ms. just so you know, Ms. Barbara's the real brains behind the whole operation. So he... <laughs> That is really weird. <laughs> I think the greatest is to see something like this, a congregation, young people fired up, enthusiastic, and then to say, Holy Spirit, you have your way. 
And then <clears throat> I've done this, seen it happen. I've been in our church and I've just waved, taken my arm across the congregation and you could hear them falling with, over the chairs. I didn't want them falling, but it was the anointing of the Spirit of God that was touching them, and so they were going under that anointing. Weird? Yes. <laughs> but lives were changed. When it's the Holy Spirit, and it seems weird, you get off the floor, and you're a different person. Yeah. If you aren't changing, if you're just getting, going down for an emotional thing, you're going to get up feeling exactly the same. Yeah. But when you know it's the Holy Spirit, you will be different. Yeah. And yeah. that is weird, but it's wonderful. Yeah, so good. It's a brilliant example. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think, and this, and this, this kind of ties into another question talked about, how do you know if it's, uh, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is moving or if it's just hyped up emotionalism? And the telltale sign for a real authentic move of God. You want to know if you really had a God encounter? You want to know if it was really the Holy Spirit that was present, that was moving on your heart, that was speaking to you, that was causing you, is that there will be fruit that cannot be denied. I could tell you story after story after of encounters that I've had that I cannot logically explain, where I've fallen out under the power of God, where I've felt electricity going from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. One time really recently, I was just praying at my house with a, with a dear friend of mine, and I just felt electricity just begin to shake me. I mean, I was literally like vibrating, like, oh, 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 oh. and there was something whenever I got up from that experience that just set my heart ablaze all over again. I'm not saying that we're to seek after emotional experiences, but what I am saying is there seems to be this Gnostic uh, intellectual movement that says, unless you can explain it, it must not be God. And I'm here to tell you that's absolute foolishness. He uses the foolish things of man to confuse and to confound the wise. Here's the marked difference, you guys. What's the fruit of it? What became after that encounter that you had? Because until your change has changed somebody else, I am convinced it wasn't a real change at all. That's the real fruit that we're looking for. Lives that look more holy, that look more like Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, cool. Great questions. Great, 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 great questions. Here we go. Why doesn't God heal everyone? Why doesn't he heal everybody? I've prayed for a billion people. Only three were healed. Or none of them. And I'm still like praying for healing. Okay. So this always gets me because I feel like nobody ever asks like, or nobody ever makes the argument because sometimes that can lead us to, well, we just need to stop praying for like healing. Like it's just not God's will. But here's the deal. Like if we, like, should we stop praying for God to like save people? Because like we, like the person we prayed for like last week didn't get saved or two years ago. Like nobody ever says like, let's just stop praying. Here's a logical thing. Let's just stop praying for people to get saved. Because, you know, I prayed for 10 people and only one of them got saved. So let's just stop praying for salvation. It's ridiculous. We pray for healing because Jesus commanded us to heal the sick. We pray and we see the sick healed because Jesus saw the sick healed. Here's the deal. And, and again, this is where it's gonna come to this idea that, you know what? 
everybody's different. And this isn't, you know, a heaven or hell thing. Will you go to hell for never praying for the sick? Absolutely not. There are whole churches, whole denominations, whole movements that are great at what they are doing. And they could care less about the healing power of God. That's just not us. That's just not me. That's not DSM. That's not New Life Church. That's not Desperation Ministries. Absolutely not. Because we've seen too many people be healed by the power of God. So here's the deal. And look, this will help you. several of you who, gosh, you, you're so believing and you're just, gosh, God, break in with healing power. You know what? We keep pressing in until we see it. That's the only thing I can tell you. Do I have a big theological answer as to why some people are healed and why some people aren't healed? Guys, I don't know. And I, I was just, we're just recently lecturing for a university and talking about revival and, and movements and all sorts of things. And one of the foremost healing evangelists would say, out of the 200,000 or so people that he prayed for to get healed, only about 5% of them were healed. But like 5% of like hundreds and thousands, that like, like sign me up for that. Does that make sense? And, and here's another thing. Now, this is going to be really good. Um, whenever we, like, I, it's so funny. You know, everybody prays differently and blah, blah, blah. And so, so here's the deal. Whenever we pray for someone to get saved, we don't, like, pray. Well, Lord, like, if it's your will, like, to save them, like, you know, just, you know will you just kind of do it? Like, maybe I could just kind of twist your arm into, like, saving him. Like, oh, God, please let it be your will to save. Now, in the same way. For me, again, this isn't everybody. This is, this is a personal conviction. I can't pray for healing like that. Like, I don't even know how, like, that doesn't even make sense in my mind. Like, that doesn't sound like faith. Like, God, if it's your will, I don't know. Oh, would you heal them, please? Pretty, pretty, please. No, whenever we pray for healing, you guys, we pray with bold faith. Saying, Father, would you heal this person? I speak to this sickness, I speak to this disease. And again, I don't have a theological answer as to why sometimes it works or we think it works or, or sometimes instantaneously. And I've seen, I've seen every form. I've seen instantaneous healings. I've been on the phone praying with someone and miraculously, boom, the healing power of God hit them and they came right out of their sickness and their disease. I've seen that before. I felt the heat in my hands. I've seen back straightened out and spinal cords, pow, right back into place, our things pop, our legs grow, our arms. I've seen those things, you guys, and I will see more by the grace of God. Your generation was built to see more. That's why the enemy so attacks this idea. But I am telling you, there is a healing movement that is returning in your generation if you will step out and dare to believe God. That's about 20 of you. And the good news is that's all God needs. <laughs> that's all God needs. He used 12 to turn the world upside down. So about if 20 of you start aggressively saying, God, pour out your healing power again, I will not be satisfied. Oh, Jesus, would you pour out healing power for cancer, for AIDS, for incurable diseases? God, do it again in the name of Jesus. You will see the power of God in your life. You will see it. And again, that's about 30 of you. I'm so thankful because you're all God needs. The rest of you can sit on the sidelines. I don't know. I just wasn't built for the sidelines. <laughs> can you tell? All right, let's press on. Luke 10, I'll give you a scripture. What does the Bible say? All right, Luke 10, two through three and verse nine. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Listen, we pray and believe in healing for the sick because Jesus healed the sick. I don't have it in me not to believe God to heal the sick. I went to ORU. God spoke to an incredible man and said, you know, build me a university where my power and, and take my healing power or take my power where my healing power is, is, is not known. Take it to the very ends, the darkest place of the world and proclaim that I am still a healing God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? All right, you guys are so good. I'm coming up on our last question tonight. And I want the worship team to come because we're gonna end in a little bit of a different way tonight as I kind of talk about this last point. We're gonna do something all together and then we'll, then we'll dismiss. So the last question that we'll be covering tonight, kind of in the area of doctrine and supernatural and the, the, the power or the nature and the character of God is what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? And it's a brilliant question. Because again, you've got to know what you believe. We believe in a triune God. We believe in a God that is three in one, which makes a clear marked distinction between other religions and other faiths and other doctrines. Just recently, about two, two Sundays ago, uh, we had the privilege as, as a staff and, and some of our pastoral staff and team here at, at New Life uh, we were able to meet with uh, students about 13 or so from around eight or nine or more different nations across the world. And so they came, they're foreign exchange students. And so there was everything from Muslims, to atheists to, I mean, you name it, different religious backgrounds. And they just began asking questions. And one of the questions that they asked was about the Trinity. What do you, what do you mean your God is three and at, like, well, is he three or like, is he one? What, what does this mean? And, and I will tell you the, 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 the Trinity is, is, is a mystery. It's mysterious, but it's a mystery of not darkness, but light. There's something mysterious about our faith and about God, because if you could piece it all together in your little human intellect, he would not be God. Does that make sense? So we unashamedly admit this thing is like hard to understand. What do you, because you see in the Old Testament where there was something called polytheism. And so, so, so it was, there are multiple gods or, or, or this pantheistic view of God. There's, there, there's a billion gods and like all of them are the same or all of them are different. And no, 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 no. Here, oh Israel, there's something in Jewish culture called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. And so that's how you pronounce it. It's the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, your God, our God. He is one God. One God. Now, progressively throughout time, he is revealed and more of his nature because revelation is progressive through the centuries. And so we see him as father, as son, as, as the Holy Spirit, three persons. It's too much to say that, well, he like became a father and like, then he like uh, morphed into a son and then, nope, you're into modalism. That's kind of like, uh, like a cult. Like you don't want to do that. <laughs> and so, so we say, we find that the language that we found is he is, he is the Trinity. He is our triune God. He is father, son, Holy Spirit, three, while all at the same time being one. And your brain begins to be exhausted trying to put that together. Three, one, two, three, but one. How can one plus one plus one equal one? I don't know. 
but this is who he is. This is who he has revealed himself to us to be. So the triune nature of God, again, is a mystery of light, not darkness. Tonight, I want us to close because there, and here's how I want us to close. In a moment, you guys are gonna stand to your feet. And as you know, here at New Life, we say, you know what? There, there's one statement that kind of unites us with the universal church of Jesus Christ. And it's one of the earliest creeds that was, that was written over 1500 years ago. And it's called the Nicene Creed. And it really kind of outlines and defines, hey, if you're curious, if you're like confused about what, just read, this will kind of summarize. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And so I want you to stand to your feet tonight. And in your heart and with your head, with your mouth, we're gonna display on the screen tonight and I want us to kind of read together the words of the Nicene Creed because it really kind of outlines for us, hey, this is what we believe. The other things are outliers. Even some of the things that I talked about tonight, I just said as a movement, this is what we believe. But as a universal church, this is what we believe. You display on the screen for us. So I want us to read this all together. Here we go, one, two, three. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. He believe, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.